Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life Tips. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Tracy. Tracy, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. How fun is it that I can talk about happiness with you? <laughs> let, let me just thank you for that in yeah, advance. Absolutely. Happiness is a fun topic. Yes. So um, I'm curious about the name of your book, which is interesting, The Next Happiness. I wanted to ask you right off the bat, what is the previous happiness if there is, in fact, a next happiness? Well, you know, it's really not about the previous happiness. Um, it's about letting go the life of the life you planned um, and going from disappointment to happiness. Um, my an original title was The Other Side of Impossible, which I think um, is obviously not as good as The Next Happy. But that's really what it's about, about going from letting go of the life you planned to getting to your next happy. Mm-hmm. And in general, why is happiness so important both to you as a as a clinician and a psychiatrist, you know, and, and et cetera, in the work you're doing? Why is happiness such a driver for you and the focus of this book? Um, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, it really wasn't when I started. Um, when I started to think about this book is I, I was sort of just wanting to give people hope who were suffering from grief and depression and life not working out. I wanted to show them that that life is possible, that happiness is possible, um, even after um, so much disappointment and so much loss. And what I started to find was that I, I knew a lot about happiness after these things. And I was really curious about how people got there from uh, life not working out as you wanted to happiness. And that was really more of my interest um, than happiness um, as a sort of endpoint. Hmm. You talk about dreams in the book a little bit. How do dreams play into happiness? Um, well, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I am a, a psychotherapist, a marriage and family therapist, and I've trained a lot in uh, Jungian psychology and psychoanalytic psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, what that means is that I'm very interested in the unconscious, and that means that I'm interested in dreams. And very often, patients bring in nighttime dreams to me and want to analyze those dreams. And um, I love doing it. It's really interesting. It's a, it's a really good way to learn about yourself. But I also realized that nobody was analyzing daytime dreams. What is it we want so much? And why do we want it? And that's sort of what I uh, started to look at in this book. Why do we want something so much? What, why do we have a dream to be uh, a rock star or have a dream house or a dream lover? What, what's it really about? There are several types of dreams, of course, that you are hereby referring to, and those are the dreams that you are not making possible, but also this element of dreaming big and, and dreaming, uh, you know, using your imagination to think big and dream big, perhaps is the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see dreams having the most impact on happiness? The failure to achieve those dreams or the lack of creativity in, in, in having dreams and drive, therefore, perhaps? Uh, you know, I don't see a lot of that. Certainly in my practice, I don't see a lot of people who have trouble dreaming. I see people whose dreams impact their ability to be happy. 
Um, you know, we, we think that, that having big goals and having big visions and, and plans for ourselves is, is a part of um, what makes us happy. But it's my premise that it can actually erode our happiness and we can um, sort of live our life on layaway, if you will, and, and say, I will be happy someday when this thing happens, as opposed to finding ways to be happy in the now. Is is the element of time important here for finding the next dream and getting over one that you have not succeeded at? Um, I, I would say that when people have had to let go of something, whether it be um, a relationship or you know they didn't get into the grad school they wanted or, or they didn't get the job or the house or whatever it is they're letting go, and, and, and it can be something – it doesn't have to be a big dream. It can be a small dream of – what I call little D dreams um, of, of sort of imagining a certain kind of life for yourself. Um, when you're grieving that, first of all, you know, I, I think probably I'm the only person out there that's saying grief is important to happiness, but I really mm-hmm. truly believe that. I think that fully allowing yourself to grieve whatever it is that hasn't worked out as you planned and not getting into a rebound whatever. You know, I mean, I think that there's not a person alive who has not gotten the advice, don't get into a rebound relationship. You've just got out of this relationship. Give yourself a minute before you jump into something. But we don't get that advice when it's about something else. And and I would say that there's a really important element in giving yourself time to go through the stages of grief before you sort of um, commit to what your next goal is going to be because it can be a way to escape um, those feelings and it may not really be what your next happy is going to be. Hmm. We often wonder why this is happening to me as if there's someone to blame for a situation that we get ourselves in. Um, How important is blame and understanding how you may be blaming the wrong person or a wrong thing to discovering happiness. How does blame figure into things? Well, I, I think self-blame is, is usually something that happens. People really like to beat themselves up and they like to think that they're, uh, you know, uh, uniquely um, a failure and that, they're, that, that this is some kind of um, moral failing or weakness in them. And, you know, that's why I spend a lot of time in the book talking about the statistics and the, the realities that, that people don't like to hear. You know, we, we do live in this never give up culture that tells us the time to give up on a dream is um, never, never. You never get to give up so that when you do give up on a dream, you're kind of uh, dealing with that culture. You're dealing with every self-help book you've ever read. You may be dealing with your little league coach. You may be dealing with your internalized parents that that give you a concept of being a quitter. Um, but the statistics about dreams, you know, that if you look at how many people have lost their dream home and, you know, that, that 85% of the members of the Screen Actors Guild are unemployed and that 50% of marriages fail and 0.001% of people who go to grad school for, to be a dancer end up being a professional dancer. So we don't look at those statistics when we're um, assigning blame to ourselves. And so really looking at the reality of um, how likely was that dream to happen? What, what's the causes of, of this dream not happening, happening and, and looking at that in a real way, as opposed to kind of just globalizing and saying, you're a quitter, you're a failure. 
Is it better to replace a dream with another dream almost immediately, or do you feel like you should grieve and tear it down and regroup, if you will, before you find another dream that you can pursue? I I think it's huge. I think that that's just, it's such, it's such a hard thing to do. And I understand why people don't want to do it. You know, we, it's the pain of grief is really difficult and it's, it's hard to feel those feelings. Um, So people want to distract, people want to replace. And I, and I think almost there's um, something about wanting to, um, you know, quickly see the silver lining and be able to say, oh, you know, I didn't really want it anyway, and I want, I've decided I want this new thing, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm really sad about that. I'm really bummed that it didn't work out that way. Um, I'm, I'm going through some grief on this and giving myself time to kind of um, let the, the next thing emerge. That That's a harder thing to do, but I think ultimately much more important in terms of um, really really and truly getting to your next happy. How should we, do you ever imagine a, a possibility of us celebrating a failure? Huh, I, I love that. I love that um, as a possibility. Um, I think we can get there. Um, I don't think um, in, in the beginning stages of letting the dream die um, that we're go- likely going to get there. And I think, you know, that there's that kind of platitude of, you know, something good comes out of something bad. And, and you know, all of those things that people say to us when, when we're in the middle of some kind of loss. And um, while that can be true, when you're in the early stages of grief, it's really difficult to, to do that. And it can be premature. But I think really coming to understand you know, what, what value came of it? What, what did you learn about yourself? You know, I write in the book about my own experience of going through um, a, a whole lot of infertility treatment, um, only not to have a child of my own. And um, initially, I couldn't have celebrated that not working out. Um, I've gotten there. Um, and I've also come to see what I learned about myself in that process. I learned how tenacious I am. I learned how determined I am. I learned um, a lot about my character that I think maybe I wouldn't have learned another way. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to that experience, but ooh, I'm, initially I couldn't have celebrated. Are you at all concerned that your book uh, is, is uh, perhaps offering a hint that People shouldn't stick with their determination and and with this you know wonderful self help notion of following your dreams no matter what it takes. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are you at all concerned about that as far as our human accomplishments and ability to persevere again against the odds? Uh, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I I kind of jokingly in the book call myself the Dr. Kevorkian of dreams, and and I do that um, thoughtfully. You know, Dr. Kevorkian didn't just um, namby pamby, so to sort of suggest that everyone should have assisted suicide. It was a very kind of detailed questionnaire that he would ask people and really see if it was if there was nothing left to do if there's nothing if the costs were so great if there was absolute if the the quality of life was so terrible and I have a, a very detailed series of questions that I ask people to engage with to determine if it's time for them to give up on their dream. And that's not something that I am ever going to be the one to tell you. Even if you came to me for therapy, I'm not going to tell you, give up on that dream. I'm going to help you understand why you're, why 
it's so meaningful for you. I'm going to help you do some assessment to determine if it's the right time for you. And if the costs of this dream have become too great, then you may come to that decision. Um, but I, I certainly um, am not not encouraging people to give up before it's the right time for them. And and even if you if you determine in in reading the book that it's not the right time for you to give up on the dream, it, you can still walk away with a lot of important information about why do I want this dream so much? What do I want from this dream? What qualities do I hope? What experiences am I projecting will happen if this happens? And um, looking and seeing if perhaps there has been some kind of imbalance um, in your life, if you're not spending time and friends, um, if you're spending too much money on the dream, and, and really help you determine if maybe there needs to be a kind of rebalancing or refocusing of this dream. Tracy, I want to ask you about two critical elements, uh, namely how money and sex play into happiness. But let's, let's take a station break, everybody, and be back in just a minute. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Internetmarketinginc.com is one of the fastest-growing full-service digital marketing agencies in the country, specializing in providing results-driven online marketing solutions. Internet Marketing Inc.'s passionate team prides themselves on staying ahead of marketing trends to create and implement campaigns that get more traffic to your website, gain positive brand awareness, and drive conversions. If you are looking for a data-driven approach to online marketing and advertising, call Internet Marketing Inc. today at 866-563-0620 or visit internetmarketinginc.com. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. All-inclusive marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-inclusive marketing. Engage with All-inclusive marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please. All-inclusive marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in all-inclusive marketing means award-winning leadership, excellence in results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement, and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, 
faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Tracy, on the topic of... (laughs) First of all, thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah. Tell Tell us in your opinion, you know, how does money really play into happiness? I mean, give me the real answer here. Isn't money a part of, of our happiness and our ability to enjoy life to to whatever fullest extent we imagine it to be? Well, I think there's a lot of good research that says that money is not the source of happiness. Now, obviously, you know, in a kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you need money to be able to feed yourself, house yourself, and keep yourself safe. That 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 all has to happen um, before you can sort of pursue higher levels of uh, meaning in life, including happiness. So at a baseline level, yes, you, you do need money. I think, I think the studies show that, that uh, after, I think, $75,000, that money doesn't uh, in any way increase the likelihood of happiness. Um, and there's a lot of good research about a kind of set point theory that we uh, – if we were to win the lottery or if we were to have uh, become paralyzed through a horrible accident, that within a year we would return to the same level of happiness um, that we were at prior to either of those events. So there's a lot, a lot of good research that says really it's, um, you know, to be consistent, to have consistent friendships, to have work that's meaningful, to have, uh, you know, a, a practice of gratitude, of being in the now, um, you know, all of those things are much more likely to impar- impact our happiness level and expand that uh, happiness set point um, than much more impact than money. A couple questions on this concept of, of a happiness threshold in each of us. Mm-hmm. First of all, do, do we have a happiness threshold, each of us individually? And, and if we do, what, what elements of our, of our culture or our society or our friends or our family shape and determine that threshold for happiness? Well, I think, I think that, that the studies show that, um, that we have a kind of uh, expectation that that outer things will make us more happier and that we do kind of look to other elements um, as opposed to our own practices of being in the now, of being grateful, of, of finding things in the moment to be happy about, that we're sort of taught by the culture, by by family, by education, that if you work really hard, that if you strive, that, it, that it's, it's, you know, this pursuit of happiness, that it's out there, that it's not something that's available right now in this moment, that it's, it's very much striving. And I think that that's certainly part of it. Um, then, and very often when I talk to people about they've achieved something, some, um, you know, great goal that they've been after, some dream that they've long had, Rarely does it feel like they imagined it would. And very often there's disappointment that all of a sudden everything's not perfect. There's a kind of fantasy of happily ever after will mean no difficulty, no conflict, um, you know, no irritations, and life will all be bliss. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that that's not the case. <laughs> Tell us how sex and or love you can take your pick uh figure into our our happiness and need for both sex and or love i i think um you know both uh i 
ideally are falling into the, to the category of relationship. And relationships, for sure, have a great deal of um, impact um, on our happiness. And to have intimate and satisfying and meaningful relationships um, that are connected and loving and supportive um, really are it's, it's, it's such important pieces of what make us happy um, and are much more likely to make us happy than, um, you know, that shiny new Maserati or that house by the lake. Um, so, yes, um, relationships are very important and having people that we can turn to who we can be honest with about our feelings and we can be intimate with, it's a huge part of happiness. Now, with the title of The Next Happy, one could suggest maybe, you know, your next girlfriend or your next wife is the next happy. In this concept, we always feel like there's greener greener pasture uh, on the other side of the fence. What's, what's your take on that, you know, and, and, and how can we achieve a next happy with the, one, with the person that we're with? Yes. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's a definitely, it's that same kind of idea that there's something out there that's going to make us happy. Um, I call this the sort of Jerry Maguire, you complete me um, model yeah. of relationship happiness. And, and you know, very often initially that person does give us lots of good feelings um, when we meet someone new, but most often we come back to those same issues and those same challenges and those same conflicts and, and really understanding that working through difficulties in relationships and um, really getting to know a partner and really um, daring to be intimate and daring to work through the hard places, those more likely to be happy um, than you are to be in the constant pursuit of some perfect other that will complete you and uh, be your source of happiness. How important is support for uh, happiness in either getting it or giving it? And then I suppose revising the plan <laughs> when when you come up with the next happiness and discontinuing the previous happiness and giving up on that and and then looking for support for another happiness, you can see that tension of how that can be complex. Can you explain that and and how support plays its role in happiness? Sure. You know, in the book, I talk a lot about the grieving process and how um, when you're letting go of uh, what you thought was going to make you happy and you're letting go of that dream, um, very often people tend to isolate because they feel shame, because they feel like their their feelings are not okay. They feel um, that they need to um, kind of hide out until they feel better um, or mask those feelings. And I would say that it's really important to have people in your life that you can share that with, that you can turn to, that you don't have to kind of clean up um, your feelings and you can be honest, you know, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time with letting this go. Um, And if those are not people in your, um, you know, circle of trust, so to speak, if they're, if your friends and family and, and your, your partner can't hear it, then I would, you know, definitely suggest people think about getting into therapy and have at least one person that you can really talk honestly about your experience um, so you don't have to repress it and so you can move through this and move through those stages and get to acceptance and uh, that's where the next happy starts to sneak in. Could you distinguish for me the difference in your mind between happiness and, and even laughing and smiling and 
versus inner happiness uh, and and, and exuding that energy. Can you explain that distinction for us? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a a long time ago, there was a kind of a Supreme Court ruling on what was pornography. And um, I I think that there was a kind of calling of like, you know it when you see it. Um, And in some ways, I think happiness is the same thing. However, I think we have some expectation about happiness being this sort of state of elongated bliss where there is there is nothing that impacts or uh, interferes with that, that we're just going to be endlessly hedonic and um, life will be happily ever after. And I, I think really what I'm talking about in this book um, is more about having a life that is enjoyable and pleasurable and satisfying and and gives you meaning and is something that you can enjoy in the now without having to kind of endlessly search for some other thing to be what is going to provide you with that imagined state of of endless uh, perfection. The dream job, the dream home, the dream partner, the soulmate, um, the, the, the single passion where work is not going to be difficult anymore. You know, the reality is that there's going to be difficulties, but what you need to look at is, am, am I pursuing something that allows me to be happy in the now, even if X, Y, and Z doesn't turn out to happen for me? As we age, does our scope of happiness get diminish? Gosh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think um, I think perhaps um, you know that there can be um, a greater sense of uh, self and a greater certainty about what makes you happy, and you can sort of um, maybe stop pursuits that are about the need to impress or the need to um, you know to to prove to uh, someone um, your sense of worth. So I, I certainly think it can um, as you age. Um, my experience is that I, you know, the older I get, the happier I get. So um, I, that would be my belief. Can you ever imagine a happiness mentor? Absolutely. Um, you know, I I sort of think of in the book. I, it was really important to me um, when I wrote this book. I was invited to be a speaker at a at an infertility conference, and um, you know. I was invited to speak on how to be happy even without having a biological child of your own. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's going to want to hear this at a fertility conference. Um, but people did. And I realized then that I knew a lot about how to get from disappointment, how I, I could be a mentor to people um, that I had learned the roadmap from disappointment to happiness and that there wasn't much in the self-help section. There wasn't a lot out there about what happens when it doesn't work out. What happens when you, you've done everything you can to be happy and it didn't work out? How do you get there? And so I decided I, I wanted to write this book and share this roadmap um, and, and really write it not just from the stance of a professional because you know it, it's one thing to, to know this stuff theoretically. It's another to walk this. And I've walked this path, and I, I really wanted to, for, when people read it, to to really clearly get that I'm that I know this, that I'm there, that I'm coming to them at that level of I, I know what this journey is, and I can help you get there. Do we need to dive into the raging seas to discover the rays of sunshine and happiness? In your opinion, 
Um, I, I think that if we're repressing stuff in that raging sea, um, if we're, um, you know, not, if there's stuff we're not dealing with and we're trying to distract ourselves with um, pursuits and um, focusing solely on the positive, I think there can be a lot of gold and buried treasure in those raging seas that are, that are, it's definitely worth um, exploring, but you want to do that in a safe way um, that you don't get lost and, and shipwrecked and, and 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 if the seas are that raging, I would suggest somebody you know get some help to um, figure out why those seas are so rough. When somebody asks either me or I ask you this question, what makes you happy? Why is that so difficult to answer? And should we have good answers for this? In your opinion. Um, you know, I think it's, it gets to be, um, maybe a daily practice. You know, when you ask that question, I mean, I immediately think of my dog. Um, you know, she, she is a, a role model in, uh, you know, endless happiness. So I think maybe she's a mentor for me, um, <laughs> um, on, you know, how to sort of like work on wagging my tail more, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it can be, um, it's it's not it's a kind of ephemeral thing and it's it is a in some ways a pursuit and um i i really hope that people sort of start to ask that question in the now as opposed to what what can i be happy about in the now versus what do i need to do become achieve or have to be happy and i guess i would really you know want to change the time zone about it being a future orientation and find ways to be happy in the now. The New York Times has done a, a fascinating study on on that, by the way, particularly in the workplace and motivating employees. And as it turns out, money is not the primary motivator. Its recognition is actually was more more interesting for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that recognition figures into happiness in your mind? I I hear a lot of uh, people that I talk to and people that I work with. I hear a kind of fantasy that money uh, will lead to recognition, that there's a kind of link of uh, if I get a promotion or if I make more money or or if I uh, achieve this thing, people will see me, acknowledge me. And and I would say even more deeply, um, the longing is for love. It has just been a pleasure having you on the show today, Tracy. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully I challenged you with some some great questions. You absolutely Uh, did. What is your next book? Speaking of next. Well, funny you should ask. I was just talking to my publisher this morning. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I'm I'm really interested in the concept of um, self-care and why that's so difficult for us and why that's something uh, that people are sort of immediately um, recoil at the idea as some kind of narcissistic selfish pursuit. So I'm interested in sort of like looking at that on a deeper level than um, how we imagine self-care. Sounds happy to me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it's been great having you on the show, and I really, really appreciate you being here. How can people get a hold of you and your book, and who do you want to get a hold of you? Uh, anybody who's, uh, I, I guess, if if you've you know gone through some disappointment, if life hasn't turned out exactly as you planned, I think, which is probably most of us, um, you know, I I I hope you come by 
um, www.tracycleantis.com. And please subscribe to my newsletter. I've got a lot of information on how to go from disappointment to happy. And uh, and I, I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again for tuning in. And thanks, everyone, for being here. Until next week, I hope your life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser. And thanks to Tracy Happier. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.